0: Uh, let's read down through verse 6. What happened? Uh, oh, You're okay. okay. Keep going. Uh, all right. Uh, it threw up something crazy, Bonnie, that made me bring attention to. All right, here we go. In in Revelation 11, it says, And there was given to me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise, measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, that uh, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles And the holy city, shall be tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days in sackcloth. And uh, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouths and devour their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. They have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of the prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now it goes on, uh, but in my study, I realized there's probably no way I'm going to get to uh, pass verse 7 today. Uh, so let's fasten our seatbelts, sharpen our pencils and papers, and, and take off. Now, I want you to know here that the, uh, John was talking to us in this particular writing, if you would, or writing this down as the Holy Spirit gave him uh, uh, utterance on this subject. So uh, the, when it says, and there was given to me, the me in that verse is John, the disciple John, and uh, he was on the Isle of Patmos. He was put there to be killed. He was by himself on the entire island. Nobody else on that island but him. They actually tried to kill him by boiling him in oil, uh, but he doesn't evidently didn't take lightly to being deep fried. So he survived that. And they tried everything else to basically get rid of him. And the last thing they did was leave him alone on the Isle of Patmos. What a great scenario for God to give the revelation of Jesus Christ to him that he wanted to have it written so that you and I can enjoy uh, the teachings of it and the understanding of what the Spirit has to say about Jesus the church, and the church's enemies. So here we are. We uh, broke into Revelation uh, 1 and 1 and read that it was the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. It's not the revelation of the devil. It's not a revelation of a whole lot of other things or Lucifer or nobody else. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now we go and we find in this particular Verse the, uh, that we're reading here um, of the things that we discussed basically last Sunday. Now, we need to see that this vision was a vision of John, that John had a spiritual understanding, and he said he was given a reed. Now, we found that reed was like a rod or like a staff, it was something that rulers used to uh, signify their authority. It was also a rod like you would think of a shepherd's rod, that shepherd used to protect and to guide sheep. Uh, we look at that in this particular reed, which we know is kind of like a weed growing along a creek bank or something. Um, this one here is like a rod. Well, the rod takes on two meanings that could be used. One, a rod is something solid, like you would think um, rebar. That's a rod uh, or a pipe, something in that uh, scenario. But also a rod can be used as a measure. We found out last week that a rod is a common term used to note how much land mass you are covering. An acre of ground is 160 square rod. Well, when you study the word rod for a measure, it's a general term. It's not an exact term as some like a foot or a yard or an inch or a meter or any other measure is. They're precise in that. And when you're building something, you do need to be precise. Now I know as a mechanic, I measure things to see how they're gonna fit. And usually if it's close, I got a big hammer that'll finish the job. For a carpenter for someone that's building something, um, it's best for them to measure several times and only cut once to make sure it's perfect so that it does fit without force or any other uh, extra uh, pressure put on it. Here we find this rod in, in our the times of me growing up as a farm boy. I told you last Sunday, that's the distance that they measure between fence posts. So if you see a country fence along the highway that a farmer has built, On the edge of his property, the distance between one fence post and another fence post is supposed to be a rod. But like I say, they're not consistent in that measurement. All right. So here we have him doing that. And with this, John says, the angel, who is the angel? Well, we didn't have a name for the angel. The word angel means messenger. We know it wasn't another man because there was no other man on the island. He was on the Isle of Patmos. By himself. So we, we take this as maybe like, like the angel appeared to Mary, like angels appear other places like Joseph and, and uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth for John the Baptist's birth. Uh, other times uh, the angels appear and speak for God. Uh, even Daniel had the angels appear to him. So we have other angels that do this, but the word angel just simply means messenger. So a messenger stood up and told John, write all this down and measure. What are we going to measure? Well, we're going to measure the temple of God. That's me and you. You are the temple of the living God. Amen. Now, how do you know that? Because you measure yourself by the word of God. That rod is a representation of God's word. If you're going to measure the temple or anything spiritual, it has to measure up to the standards of the word of God. Amen. So you measure the temple and the altar. What's the altar? Well, the altar is how you get in the temple or how you get on right terms with God. And that's Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus is our altar. We go to him with our sacrifices or our petitions and prayers. And he makes a sacrifice by his blood on the Calvary's cross. And he says in them, that worship therein. So that's all the people that are Christians, all right? And the only way you can tell if somebody's a Christian or not is do they line up with the Word of God, amen? Now, that's not used as a judgment of those that are on the outside, amen? So we can't measure what's on the outside, only the saints that are on the inside that are living according to God's Word, amen? So verse 2 says, But uh, don't count those uh, that are without the temple, okay? So we're not going to be measuring all those that hang around the church. We want to measure the church, amen? Those are non-believers. He calls them Gentiles. He says the court that is without, leave out, because that's left for the Gentiles. In first century society, I guess you could say it that way to understand it better, there was only two groups. There was either the saints or the Jews, or the Christians, or God's people, or whatever you want to call them, and the Gentiles. If you wasn't a a Jew or uh, uh, one of God's people, they looked at you as a Gentile in in biblical writings. and, And so we understand how that works. And he says there in that particular verse, don't try to understand somebody by the Bible that's not a Christian. Because they're not going to act the way the Bible says they should act. It's not the same standard that you use to measure your life before God because those that measure themselves by the people around them are making a big mistake. If you measured yourself by this world around you, you would come up short every time. Amen? So here we are. It's given to the Gentiles, the outsiders, and the holy city shall they, who is that? They are the Gentiles be tread underfoot, amen, they got to walk right past the witness of the word that they have, they're going to walk right past your testimony, they're going to walk right past your savior, the altar, Jesus Christ, and they're going to do it for quite a while, amen, for the most part, people that don't get saved, you know the statistic is if you're not saved, by the, year, by the time you're 25 years old, statistics say you only got a 3% chance of ever being saved. Hmm. So it's good that we get saved early. He says for a long time. Well, a lot of um, people that preach uh, the revelation try to put days and years and centuries and different things and try and even build a chart to walk across what happened in what year and all that stuff and try to make it applicable to history. But guess what? It doesn't apply because what Jesus wrote for the first uh, church of of the seven churches of Asia, that still applies to you and me. And what he wrote in the seventh church, if you try to put dates on it, wouldn't have no application to the people that lived in the first century. And that doesn't make sense either because the whole word of God applies to all of us all the time, amen? Mm -hmm. So don't try to put dates on any of this, but he said it's going to be 42 months. Now, we explained that a little bit um, last week, and we're going to read down through here. You'll find all three of these terms will take place. 42 months in the Jewish calendar had 30 days a month. All you mathematicians, 30 times 42 Equals 1260 days. Now we're going to read about that here. Or I already read it to you in verse three, but we're going to get to that in here in a little bit more. And if you divide that by 12, which is 12 months a year, it's three and a half years. So when you see 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years, or time times a half a time, that's all three and a half years. That all is the same period. What period is that? it's the last day. Amen? The Bible says we're in the last days. Amen? Amen. So this is it. There's nothing else to come in behind it to straighten us out. I know there are people that teach uh, uh, Jesus is going to come back and rapture the church away and leave all the sinners behind and they'll get a second chance. Well, there's no biblical uh, stance for that. If you don't make the first cut when Jesus comes again, I mean, that is a place for you to go, and it's not that you get a second chance from it. Amen? Well, that's another subject anyway. But I just want you to understand that those time periods don't have dates to them. They are just an expression of how long the Holy Spirit's going to be working for God in these scenarios. Then we get to verse 3. Now we're ready to take off. That was a quick summary of last Sunday. Now, verse 3 says, and I'll give power. See that in there? Under my two witnesses. That word power, if you're looking at it in a King James version or other versions, may say something different there instead of power. But the word power is in italics. Now, do you know what that means? That means it was not in the original writings. So if you wanted to read it like it was originally written, he said, I will give unto my two witnesses. And of course, we can look at on down into verse number six, and he says there that he did give them power. So for the translators to help us understand or um, keep on track as that we're reading these things from the scripture, they thought by putting that word power in there would help us grasp the idea of what was taking place here to help us understand it a little easier. And it's okay because. The word power is inserted on down in the scriptures there. Now, and what does he say this power is going to do for these two witnesses? Number number one, they're going to be able to shut up heaven. Well, now we got to find out which heaven we're talking about. How many heavens are there? You all know that I've preached it many a time. There's three heavens in the Bible. All right. So we got to figure out which one he's talking about. And then he says they've got power over the water. To turn it to blood. And then three, they can smite the earth with plagues. So now as all that leads into something here, um, first of all, that heaven, we don't know which one he's referred to until we read the text. And since he's talking about he shut up heaven, um, it could mean a couple of things. One, it could mean he shuts up the heaven where the birds fly. What kind of World would we be living in if the heaven or the air around us or atmosphere or whatever name you want to put on it was shut up? If it didn't work, now I realize they're having some kind of summit somewhere around the world, somewhere where they all fly their private jets over there now, and there's probably about thirty billionaires sitting down trying to solve all the problems on how to stop global warming and save the earth. The earth's okay. I don't know whether you trust them or you trust me, but the earth's going to be okay. God's still in charge of the earth. They said all the ice caps were going to melt. Guess what? Science has proved they're actually getting deeper. They said by now, um, 20 years ago, they said New York and Florida would be underwater. Uh, I think the beaches are still in the same place they were 20 years ago. Amen. I drive down there to Myrtle Beach and, and the coastline, I can't believe the size of the nice places they build right to that coast. And if global warming was going to destroy all that, why would they waste millions of dollars building there if it's going to be only there for 10, 15 years, if they, according to their judgment, well, they don't know what's going on, but God does. Amen. Um, that's Amen. a whole nother subject too. That's another rabbit trail, isn't it? All right. So that was just a preview about how their power is supposed to be. And, uh, and we find now in verse number three that these two witnesses have the power again, but it's only for a while. They're going to prophesy. Now, what does prophesy mean? It could mean two things. The word prophesy comes from two Greek words, and they can be used interchangeably. It could mean to tell forth or to forth tell. A lot of people think a prophecy is something that somebody foretells or tells the future. If you are predicting the future, they think you're prophesying. But just to tell the truth about what God's word says is a prophecy, because God's word is true, and what you say about it based on God's word is going to come past just as much as any vision or dream you have going Forward in trying to predict the future. All right, now it says that they were dressed in sackcloth. Now, what does that stand for? Well, sackcloth was a physical expression of a time of mourning. In the Old Testament, when God called them to get into a mourning condition that they were out of step with God, what did they do? They would call, go into what they call sackcloth and ashes, it was a very rough material. It was very uncomfortable to wear. And when you wore it, you would look miserable. That'd be like you putting on a burlap sack and throwing dust all over you yeah. out of ash pit, out of your fire pit. Amen? Yeah. That, that's what that kind of represents. Um, to put it in yeah. what you might say layman's term, these two witnesses, because uh, few find a way of salvation— They are upset because they prophesied now for years and years and years and 42 months and 1,260 days and three and a half years and for eternity since God put this world in motion, the word of God and the spirit of God have tried to get people right with God. And you and I both know few there be that find it. Amen. That would make anybody sad. Amen let alone the Holy Spirit that wants to uh, stand for the truth and that uh, wants to convict people of their sin so that they are without salvation because their soul has not accepted the word that Christ brought to them. All right, verse 4. See, we're moving right along now. Now, these two witnesses, he says, are two olive trees and two candlesticks. All right. What were the candlesticks used for well, you know that they hold candles, or they hold, they represent light. Now, we can go through the, the Bible from one end to the other, and anytime there's light, um, it's a representation of Jesus Christ or of God himself. So they stand ready to do the job before the God of the earth, and the earth is a representation of all mankind. Isn't that true? Because we're all dust balls. I've told you that we were made from Dirt from the very beginning, that's what God used to make Adam and Eve. Let me read to you in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. In verse number six, it says, For God who commanded the light, we just talked about that, to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's the key. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of ourselves. Amen. So when you understand that scripture and then read what he's talking about here, it makes a whole lot of sense to us. Amen. So we're just earthen vessels and the light that God has, he shines in our hearts. That's salvation. Amen. So when we get those things working, everything's going to be okay. In other words, salvation is seeking and following the truth of God's word and listening to the conviction of the Holy spirit, because the two witnesses we're going to find are the word and the spirit. I want to put that out there so that as I um, go through these different things and you see how the Bible refers to them, that'll make sense to you how the word and spirit is supposed to operate in our lives. Now let's see if this vision, if you would, of the candlesticks, and the olive trees is ever used in the Bible anywhere. What do you think? Yeah, Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Zechariah, the fourth chapter. I I could read all this. I'm going to cut it back just a little bit for you. Uh, Well, let me just start in verse 1. And the angel talked with me again and walked with me. And, of course, this is Zechariah, and he's interested in making sure the temple is put back in place after the Babylonian destruction. And he said unto me, what seest thou? And he said, and he looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, and a bowl upon the top of it, and seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, and they were upon the top of it. And what else? Verse 3, two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, the other on the left side thereof. So I answered and spake the angel that talked with me. Again, this is not um, another man. This is just a person that was talking in this vision to Zachariah and saying, "What are these, my lord?" And the angel talked with me and answered and said unto me, "Knowest not what these be?" And he said, "Nope, don't have any idea, Lord. Help me out here." Verse six. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, "This is." the word underline word of God. This is the word of God. These candlesticks and these olive trees, that's the word of God. Under Zerubbabel say not by my, uh, not by might nor by nor by power, but underline this by my spirit. To me, that sense just, came to me Amen. like a flashing neon sign saying these two witnesses, these olive trees and these candlesticks spiritually represent God's word and God's spirit. Amen. Yeah. So you can go on into reading the rest of this and study it if you want. But basically that was pretty much cut and dry as to what God was talking to him there through that angel. There was nothing new or nothing uh, that they didn't need to see there. You can even go back when Moses was told to build the tabernacle in the wilderness that where they could worship God as they were going through the wilderness for 40 years. What was he supposed to make inside that temple? Oh, yeah a golden candlestick with seven candles on it and seven. Well, you have to understand another thing. Of course, that even proceeds on into Exodus, the 37th chapter, where they did make those in the tabernacle and they were carried on over when they came to the promised land. Those seven, those uh, candlesticks and the olive trees, they were put into the temple to also, because they were needed to light the way for the things that God was doing. So when we think of candles, we think of lights. We think of wicks burning with inside of wax. Now that's candles in the 21st century. Amen. You light a fire on the little bit of wick that's standing out. And because it's surrounded by wax, it glows and makes light in a room. It can be a really dark room and a really small candle, but it makes light, doesn't it? Well, they didn't have the wax candles in their day. They called them candles, but that's not what they were. The ones they had in their day operated on oil, not wax, and, but they did have a wick to them. Today, we would call them lanterns. It would be what you see at Cracker Barrel on every table. It has a bowl of what we'd say kerosene in it. Back then, it had a bowl of olive oil in it. And the olive oil is what burnt by absorbing it up through the wick that's in there. And that explains how we have to have the bowls, the pipes, the olive trees to get the oil into the lanterns so that they could become the lamps or the lights in the temple. Amen? Now, to think of the two witnesses As the word of God and the spirit of God, the word is the light given to us, but the spirit is what powers the light of the word to you and me and to our spirit. Amen. You could read all day in the Bible, but if you don't get understanding or power from it, it it just seems like another book. Amen. Amen. I've read a lot of books, and when I set them down and walked away, um, I didn't remember a thing of what I just read, okay? Well, I can't say I didn't remember it, but I remembered how boring it was, because it really didn't have application to my life per se. That's why in verse 6, it spells out what these two witnesses are, the Word of the Lord, the Bible, and the Spirit of the Lord, amen? That's what we need to know as we move forward. So that's why, I call the two witnesses the Word and the Spirit. I just cut to the chase, and it makes it easy for me to know moving forward how all these things work together in God's will. If you use the interpretation from the Word of God, it makes sense and that these are the two agents God gave to us to use to guide us in our personal, individual, daily walk of salvation as the temple of God, amen, that's what the Bible is referring to when it talks about the two witnesses, now there are other places where the word witness is used in scripture, we'll get to that more towards the end, but I just want to kind of move on here, but let's look now at Revelation uh, 11, I'm still in Zachariah, let me go back, Revelation 11, 5, look how we're just moving along here, if any man will hurt them, who? The Word and the Spirit. You'd say, well, that's God's spiritual application. And how can anybody hurt them? I'll tell you how you can hurt them. You can offend them by not paying any attention to them. Amen? I bet Carly gets offended when her students don't pay a bit of attention to what she's saying. I studied all night to put this lesson together, and you're not paying a bit of attention to me. huh? Well, she probably can get a little bit on the hot under the collar side. Well, guess what? If any man will hurt these, how do you hurt the word and the spirit? By the choices you make. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen? And all choices have either rewards or consequences. Once you make a choice, you're not the same anymore. Amen. So in case of these two witnesses, Think of it as the way Jesus taught about blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. We can read that in Mark three. Maybe I'll read real quick. We got time. Mark the third chapter. Jesus talked about this. He says in verse twenty eight, "Verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven you, unto the sons of men, and blasphemy, wherein, the, whoso, wherewithsoever." they shall blaspheme, but verse 29, he that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost shall never be forgiven, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, what does that say in layman's terms or a true understanding? You can repent of anything that you've done wrong and God will have mercy. Amen. Through Jesus Christ. But when you Uh, blaspheme the Holy Ghost, or in other words, say the Holy Ghost doesn't have any power, so I'm not even going to talk to him. If you don't talk to the Holy Spirit, he can't forgive you. And if you don't get forgiveness, you don't get salvation. Amen? Mm -hmm. So when we're in sin, there's forgiveness, either between man and man or even between man and God. But the only time that the Scripture says forgiveness is withheld is if you don't ask for it. There's not a sin in the world that you can commit that you cannot be forgiven of Amen. if you ask. Jesus said, ask and you shall be and shall receive. Amen. All right. So asking forgiveness is more than saying, I'm sorry, crying crocodile tears and feeling sorry for yourself. Really? Amen. It's, like, it's just like the first step. If you're really sorry, actions will be taken to back up that apology. In other words, you'll repent. Repent means turn around, go the other way. You're going the wrong way. So I am of the opinion that uh, we all at one time or another probably have hurt the two witnesses. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. One, because we're uh, not representing the word and the spirit in the way that we really should. Sometimes it's by not saying anything. It's by ignorance or ignoring them. That that hurts their feelings. God goes to great lengths, if you would, to make sure you have everything you need to be successful. And if you're not, whose fault is it? Hello? Amen. So we need to make sure we do what we should be. Let me give you an example. When we say hurtful things to someone we may just have been joking around but to someone else it may not have been a joke so it may be that it hit a nerve it may they, they didn't see what our real intentions were what do we do in those situations as soon as we see that that didn't go over the way we wanted man we need to back up we need to apologize we not only need to apologize we need to mean that that we apologize. And don't joke about that with them anymore. Evidently, there are people that don't like to be joked about being fat. I don't care. But there are people that are offended by that particular word. Now, notice what happens when the Holy Spirit or the Word of God is offended. Fire proceeds out of their mouth. Wow. What are we going to do then? It sounds like we would call um, that as a lashing out. Have you ever said something to somebody that upset them? And man, it was as if you set a fire under their chair. They're back in your face and nothing flat, aren't they? Amen? Well, that's what happens. And it even gets worse. Or they want to even get even for some of the things you say. Now, if if it's not gotten uh, under control rather quickly, A friend can become an enemy in a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. So we need to get a grip on those things pretty quick. And if that's the way we see it between man and man, why can't we see it the same way between man and God Mm -hmm. or between his word and his spirit? They are active persons in our life and they want to give to us the things we need. So we need to make sure we do that and do it quickly. Now, fire in many cases in the word of God, is used to describe good and evil. Fire can go either way. That's why you have to read the context that it's in. Amen? Fire is sometimes the presence of God. How did Moses find God in the wilderness? Oh, yeah, a bush was burning, but it didn't consume the bush. And it got Moses' attention. He walked closer, and God said, take off those shoes. You're walking on holy ground. Amen? It got his attention. What did? The fire, because he had something he wanted to say to Moses, and he wanted to make sure he heard it. Evidently, he heard Moses heard through his feet, so he had to take his sandals off. But now we have fire that could mean other things that uh, go on. For example, on the day of Pentecost, what did it stand for? Fire came down and sat on everybody's head as tongues, if you would, or flaming cloven fire on them. And what was it? The presence of God. Amen. Even the disciples in times when they were out of step, (coughs) they wanted to call down fire on some people that didn't agree with them. You can read that, write it down in Luke 9, 54. Amen. Amen. They even used uh, Elijah as an example. We want to call down fire, just like Elijah did, is what the disciples said to Jesus. And, of course, we know Elijah did it in Numbers 11, verses 25 to 29. Amen? So I believe God would rather use mercy than wrath because he's a loving God. But there are times when that loving God has to use wrath. Fire plays a role either way. All right. Number one, fire under mercy is a purifier. You know how they purify gold and silver? Yeah. They got to put it to the fire. Amen. You know how God purifies your spirit? He puts it under the fire. Amen. Now that's this is all scriptural, yes. but you need to understand that fire can do one thing, and then number two, if fire is out of control, it can consume and destroy. That's what we'd call maybe a forest fire. It doesn't take long for a little spark to start a fire in a forest or from a little campfire, and it's not long till thousands of acres have been charred and how maybe even homes consumed by the wrath of that fire that's out of control. You see, fire's always all around us. We can't get away from it. It's used um, because it's based on our choices, and that fire either brings from our choices, again, rewards or consequences. Amen? Yeah. If a man yeah. hurt them, yeah. what's them? That's a plural pronoun. That's more than one. So again, he's referring to the two witnesses. He must in the same manner. Manner means the same basis or the same based on the same choices. That person's going to be uh, uh, killed, if you would, by the same choices that he made when he rejected the word of God and the spirit of God. What's it mean to be killed in the scriptures if you're talking spiritually? It just means you're not saved. Mm -hmm. Amen. Now, I know there are a lot of people that teach once you get saved, you're always Mm -hmm. saved. But I kind of got to back off of that a little bit as I study my Bible. I think there are times in here where God says, I'm done with you. So you get your heart squared away. We're out of here. Amen. Mm -hmm. And I've even seen that work its way through persons' lives as I've walked the Christian walk. Amen. So God still deals with us as individuals. You and I do the same. We discipline our children differently based on their knowledge, based on their age, based on how they react and the choices that they make. Amen? You don't treat your three-year-old child the same way you do your 12-year-old child amen, for doing the exact same thing, or maybe even using the same language. When he was three years old, everybody thought it was cute. Now that he's 12, you much about want to chew his ear off for using those words, amen. So when a small child says something uh, and says, I don't want to go to church, what do you say? It's not your choice. Get in the car, amen, <laughs> but now when they get become an adult and they say, I don't want to go to church, you can't grab them by the ear and drag them out to the car and say, well, nope, don't matter. We're going to church anyway. Because, but they have to answer for the choices that they make, and they have to face the consequences. Amen? Yeah. That's the way it works. Amen? And it's what, what do we say about that? It's the same manner that we deal with it. Verse 6, boy. Flying through this chapter, aren't we? Verse 6. These have power. Oh, we're back to the power. This time, the power is in the original writings. So this is a real power. Amen? To do some things. Number one, they can shut up heaven. Again, which heaven? Well, I know it's not the one the birds fly in. And I know we can't shut up the heaven that God lives in, his eternal home. We have no authority over that at all. Evidently, this is the heaven that we refer, refer to in the scriptures as heavenly places in Christ Jesus or the church. Amen. They have the power to shut up the church. Did you know that? Yes, sir. If a, power, if a pastor or a teacher or anybody is doing things in um, a church or whatever, that is teaching false teachings, uh-uh. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God is not going to back that up. Amen. What happens when they shut up heaven? doesn't rain. That's what Scripture says. Huh. They have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. That's what my Bible says. So if you don't want your prophecy to have rain on it, is rain important? Again, rain is important. Amen? Yeah. Rain, the Bible says in Matthew 5.45, that God sends rain on the just and the unjust, amen? But again, it's easier to tell the difference between a shower of blessings versus a flood of a curse, amen? So the destruction of a flood literally can be devastating, but it all came from the same rain, amen? So spiritually, our choices and consequences um, tell us the difference between the blessings and cursings that we receive based on the desires we want from God's word and God's spirit. Amen? Amen. Sometimes we're saved, the scripture says, by pulling them out of the fire. Well, in verse 5, what was the fire? Well, that was God's presence. Amen? In verse 6, it's the water. Now, I don't care how you look at it. Water and fire never mix. Amen? I've heard a a preacher one time say, every time you come into the church, you're carrying two buckets. One of gasoline and one of water. When you run into a fire, it depends on which bucket you throw on it as to how that fire or how that situation is going to work out. Amen? You can either... Uh, make the matter worse, or you can put the fire out. Amen. But it's up to you to make sure it works out. Now, if you want to put out a fire, the best thing to use is water. Amen. You got to be careful though. If it's uh, nowadays, um, there are like air, jet fuel, you hit it with water, it, it just sp- spreads it out and it still burns. But it's, this is a normal speaking. If you got a fire in the Fireplace and it's out of control and it's starting to burn the wall. Now, the best thing you can do is throw as much water on it as fast as you can. Amen. So, some cases you have to fight fire with fire. You ever heard that term? Fight fire with fire? Well, that's what God called his two witnesses to do. Sometimes when your fire is out of control, God sends the fire of his word and his spirit to burn your fire out. Or, to give you a better understanding of how to use that fire. Amen? So we need to do that. God calls his two witnesses to make sure you understand how that should work. Now, he says, look at this phrase in that particular verse. He says, in the days of their prophecy. Well, we're in the last day. Amen? From the day of Pentecost till Jesus comes again, that's the last day day from scripture. Amen. God is allowing his two witnesses, his word and his spirit to do the speaking in the last day. They're the preachers. Amen. Yeah. They, they may look like they got gray hair, wear glasses, but um, they are speaking through us and we're just uh, the, the man, the messenger there with skin on him. But we should always want to know What does the two witnesses have to say on everything we prophesy about? Amen? Now look at that particular verse, verse 6. It says, in the days of their prophecy, and then we see a colon. That's the time to stop and then think about it and then say and add to that, the word uses the power to turn the water into blood. Plus, other plagues. Now, where did we read about that in the Bible? When yeah. was water ever turned to blood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And guess what it was when Moses went before Pharaoh. Moses was on God's team. Pharaoh was against God's team. Amen. And God used those plagues to prove who's in charge here anyway. Amen? Now, Pharaoh didn't like what Moses had to say, so he sent plagues. I believe there were 10 of them, if I recall correctly, and one of them was he turned the water into blood. Everywhere they went, all the water was blood, and it stunk because it killed the fish, and everything was nasty. Amen? So, God used plagues to show that he was in charge not only with the water and blood plague, but all the others, the lice and the locusts and flies and frogs and you name it. Hopefully, God won't have to send a plague your way for you to see things God's way. (coughs) Sorry. Personally, I see this play out in a lot of people's lives. Especially, I see it played out in a lot of people's lives in our day and time in their finances. Get a grip on your finances. If you don't, God will have to show you how to do that. Personally, uh, when this happens, it's as if they take their money and put it in a bag and the bag's got holes in it. What's going to happen? That's going to spill out, leak out, lose it, you know, or you'll be busy cleaning up the mess that your finances made because your bags have holes in them. Amen? That's just a simple example, but I'm going to tell you something. In this world, the more things you have, the more things have of you. Yeah, Amen. So we don't need to concentrate so much on how much of this world we gain as much as we concentrate on how much God has of us as we go through this world. Amen? Amen. We need to get ourselves on track with God and do his will. And it's up to the two witnesses to keep us on track and when, when and where they need to open our eyes the road God is calling us to travel on or to put our lives in order. Amen. God wants you. If God wants you in the wilderness, Red Sea can't stop you. If he wants you in Canaan land, the Jordan River can't stop you. If he wants you to take a city, Jericho's walls can't stop you. Amen. Well, he put, God puts his approval on something. Amen. Power is not the problem. Issues or circumstances don't enter into the picture. We just need to trust the two witnesses to take us where God wants us to go. We need to learn to trust God and allow the two witnesses to lead us to God's past in the end, heaven eternally. Amen? Now, we're not going to go into verse 7. I told you that in the beginning. I'm Lucky we got this far. I guess I went and went over my time anyway. But before we go any farther, let's look at what the Bible says about witnesses. My favorite scripture is Romans 8.16. Let me read it for you real quick. I like it. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. I ain't not there yet, but I'll just, from memory, tell you what it is. Amen? In the book of Acts, the term witness was used to relate to the fact that many of them personally saw and heard the resurrected Christ. And they used that witness to spread the gospel in the first century in the book of Acts. You couldn't talk them out of who Jesus was and what he was doing because they heard it and they saw it firsthand. Amen. That's one thing witnesses will do in your life amen and just remember that brock when you go to jury duty the witnesses are supposed to tell you the truth amen so in john uh first john one and one one and one one and two That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we've looked at upon, we had our hands and handle of the word of life. He's talking about Jesus Christ there. John said, I seen him. I touched him. I grabbed him. Me and him wrestled. Whatever he wants to say, I was there. You're not going to convince me of anything different. Amen. Now, when the word of God and the spirit of God is alive in your life, Nobody's going to tell you any different because mm. you've seen it, mm. you felt it, you handled it, and it worked good in your life. Verse 2 says, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto the unto you that eternal life, which is of the Father, which is manifested unto us. Isn't that special? Amen. Mm. Then jump, jump over into... The fifth chapter of John, verse 5. He that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And this and, and this is he which came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. In other words, he was here in the flesh and the spirit, is what he's saying. And it is the spirit that bears witness. Amen. The flesh did, but man, once the spirit bears witness, you got it. Because the spirit is truth. Amen. You can read on down through verse number 10 there. It'll explain what he just said there in greater detail. Now, many other scriptures talk about the witnesses of the spirit. And remember, everything God wants to do for his people, the devil tries to counterfeit it. Mm-hmm. Remember that, but they are known as false witnesses, false teachers in the scripture. Think about it. The trial of Jesus before his crucifixion. They didn't have a reason to crucify him. So what they do? They rallied the troops, tried to come up with some false witnesses. They couldn't get any of them to agree on any single issue that would have found Jesus guilty of any kind of crime or any problem. Then finally, they got a couple of them to say, you know what I heard? That man said, if you destroy the temple, I'll build it back in three days. Well, they didn't have any idea what he's talking about. He was talking about, if you kill me, I'll resurrect from the tomb in three days. They thought he was talking about the literal temple. And because they held the literal temple in such high esteem, They thought he's an idiot. We got to get rid of him. If he thinks he can build this temple, it took Solomon uh, 37 years to build it. And he thinks he can do it three days? Come on, give me a break. Well, because of their lack of understanding of the word and the spirit, they ended up missing out on what God had for them from the word and the truth. Amen. Amen. This morning, we got to praise God for the truth. We got to praise God for his two witnesses, his word and his spirit. But because they want us to have all the knowledge and all the truth about God to guide us to heaven, to be where God wants us to be. Amen. One last verse. John, 1 John 4, 1 John 4 and 4. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And remember. Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.